0: Hey guys, Amy here. I just wanted to jump in real quick before the beginning of the episode and let you know that Mike essentially lives in a tin box and this was recorded during the middle of a heat wave and he had to have his AC on. So unfortunately, that means that his audio is a little funky for this episode. It is better in other episodes, don't worry. But for this one, he definitely sounds a little funny. If you need to skip this episode because of that, totally understand. But if you wanna continue listening, we hope you enjoy. (laughs) All right, well, hello and welcome to the 102 and Podcast. I am Amy, and I am joined by some very beautiful people, including Missy.
1: Hi, guys.
0: Mike. Hello. Tommy. Yo. And a very, very special guest, Liam. Yo. We are a family of weirdos and a group of creatives going through the story writing process, and we're bringing you along for the ride. So let's get into it. Liam. Um I heard that you wanted to talk about Nightcrawler which we were going to talk about last time uh but it wound up getting uh kind of pushed to the side as things do <laughs> with our conversations. Um so please inform us about all things Nightcrawler.
2: It was a good movie. <laughs>
3: that's great all right
0: time what to move I on
2: yep.
3: <laughs> so liam came to me last week and told me that he wanted to watch this movie nightcrawler before it was off of netflix and i was like yeah okay liam wants to watch a movie sure i'll watch it i went into this movie assuming that nightcrawler was some kind of either hero like superhero or super villain and so the movie itself obviously had nothing to do with that content so i was very confused because i thought that the few like sequences towards the beginning were like oh we're establishing how he becomes a super villain and that was not where the movie went so that definitely took me by surprise
1: i like the movie uh quite a bit i remember watching it i think just after it came out like several years ago and i remember the first time i was watching it i just i guess i wasn't like mentally prepared for it. And I thought that he was a hero and Mm. I was like, Oh yeah, this guy's just trying to do whatever he can to like be the best. And you know, it's your, your drug dealer rises to power sort of story and you root for them in the long run. And then I remember watching it about a year ago, maybe two um, for the second time. Knowing that I liked it the first time, and then I realized how wrong my opinion was of the main character. Mm-hmm. How you should not like Jake Gyllenhaal at all in that movie. You should really despise him, uh, especially by the end. And uh, you know, it, it, for me, it was just like, oh, how could I watch one movie two times and get totally different opinions on it each time?
3: Mm. He was not only cringy throughout the movie, at least to me, but like every step he took. Just came across as, oh my gosh, I do not want to cross paths with this guy. He had no sense of empathy and no moral compass. It was just, this is my goal. This is what I'm going to do. And there is no right and wrong. It's just what I want to do, what I'm trying to accomplish.
0: Um. So just for those of us who haven't seen the movie, you can spoil away. I'm totally okay with that. Um. What... Is Nightcrawler about? Because I'm confused
2: as to what you guys are talking about. <laughs> so, do you know what a Nightcrawler is? It's a, it's a
0: mutant. <laughs> no, I don't know what a Nightcrawler is. Someone who crawls at night, I
3: guess. Somebody who chases a news story at night. Oh, okay.
1: Spe- specifically to gather footage so that they can sell it to a TV station.
4: Ah. Uh, oh.
1: So, that Jake Gyllenhaal uh, starts off the movie um, robbing aluminum or something and selling it to a construction site. And in that like first scene, he tries to pitch himself as a really reliable worker to the person he just sold stolen goods to. And the uh, foreman at the construction site is like, you're a thief. Why would I hire you? Like, get out of here. And um, it kind of just sets up the idea that Jake Gyllenhaal is like in it to make money, but he doesn't know his scam yet. And he's not really locked on to what other people can actually think about um, how they might feel in reaction to him. And, uh, some accident happens and he stumbles into a camera crew filming, uh, like a, a horrible accident so that they could sell it on TV. And he basically goes into the business and says, all right, I'm going to start filming these horrible accidents or these shootings or these crazy, you know, events to television stations. And throughout there, he just uses and manipulates people as much as possible. Um, until near the end, uh, he, there, there's a couple things. First of all, he breaks into somebody's house after there was a murder and, you know, films that all just to sell it and then gets out before the cops get there, which is, you know, pretty horrid enough. He doesn't report it. He just films it. But then near the end of the movie, he sets up, um, pretty much like a car crash. Uh, and he has his assistant oh go in and his assistant gets shot. And instead of helping his assistant, he films yeah, his dying assistant because it's really good f- footage. Um, oh my gosh yeah you find and- out
3: that he actually set up his assistant specifically to get killed at some point in this series sequence yeah because his assistant was questioning his methods and oh. he couldn't trust him anymore
4: it's his slow ascent into madness yeah, it, it's kind a, of. Yeah, I, I think that he was
1: already, already mad. I mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. it is talking. I, you know, I don't know the full message, but I think it's about the complacency that we have for the things that are titillating for us. Mm-hmm. Like his character was showing us this gruesome side that we really wanted. It's all about kind of like what you will do for your wants. Um, there is uh, an anchor woman in there and it's played by uh, uh, Renee the, Russo. Um, yeah, Renee Russo. And um, she just wants to, you know, be more popular on TV. So she kind of helps Jake Gyllenhaal, and with that, like he ends up basically controlling her near the end, almost mm-hmm. basically forcing her into a relationship with him. Yep. Because of his popularity, he will tell the uh, stations like, "You don't need to work with her anymore." He'll stop selling his footage to it. So it's kind of like the price that you pay when you work with somebody like that when they're just willing to do whatever in order to get you know, something that's entertaining and uh, it's, it kind of, it should disturb you at the end. I remember the first time I I'm watched disturbed it listening
0: to you guys just yeah.
1: explain it. The first time I watched it, I was like, Oh man, that's really bad. But you know what? He's the kingpin. He's in charge now. La la la. Like I, for some reason, my brain at the time I watched, it was just so like, Oh, he's the good guy. And I, I was <laughs> almost like horrified when I watched it the second time thinking like, Oh yeah, let me see Jake Gyllenhaal do the wrong things to rise to power and i i just was more you know mature and aware i was like oh god
4: that's were you horrified at the fact that you realized what it was or were you horrified at the fact that you thought he was a good guy at first uh not not the fact of what it
1: was in fact i enjoyed it so much more that i realized the fact that it was i was horrified at the fact that i went in watching something and thought I know what this is about and I enjoyed it because of this reason. But then when I watched it again, I was like, I picked up on the totally wrong messages. Mm. It's kind of like watching Goodfellas; like great movie. And you know, Ray Liotta like does an awesome job and his character. You're like, you're rooting for him at certain points, but then you have to remember like he's a murderer and he robs people and he kills people. and He's the bad guy. And it's, it's so easy to watch films like that and be like, Oh, these bad guys, they're winning. And that's great. But then when you step back and look at it, you're not supposed to like them. You're supposed to hate them. (laughs) And the fact that I liked Jake Gyllenhaal's character the first time around, I think is what horrified me more than anything else.
4: Mm.
2: Jake Gyllenhaal's acting was
1: perfect.
3: He was phenomenal. He was
2: so good in that. His big-ass bug eyes really (laughs) got me. (laughs) Yeah. Really got me. All of the acting in his eyes, man, they're really compelling.
4: He's a great actor. He really is. He is. He
1: had some, like, weird twitches while he was acting, too, that was just, is very subtle, but it was, it was a really nice touch for that character.
2: To me, it seemed like it was an alien trying to learn how to be human. <laughs> yeah. It was secretly
0: a sci-fi. It
2: literally, I <laughs> thought, I was like, this is an alien trying to figure out how to be human. The only, like, human thing that this alien has is want. It, like, it, it all, all he has is want. But like he doesn't know how to do anything else as functioning as a human. Cause like you mentioned at the beginning when um construction guy he he said he wouldn't hire him because he's a thief. Instead of the character, instead of Jake Jill getting mad, he was like, you know what? Yeah, that's smart. Good job. He laughs at it. It's like, yeah, good for you. And then he walks away, never, never interacts with that again. I'm like, bro, most people would be. Mad or be like, okay, but I still helped you, or they'll try to pitch himself even more. But no, this man was laughing and he was like, yeah, good on you. I was like, this guy is, he's built different. I i think he seemed, he honestly seemed like an alien uh, throughout different many sequences. He was trying to learn how to be human emotions because many people, I remember his assistant tells him to, um, to like try and be, to try and understand humans more, like throughout his work because he interacts with a lot of people and he's not really doing it well. He's like, his assistant tries to tell him, like, when you make your company and you get a bunch more employees, you have to interact with them like they're humans not like they're some kind of product. And, um, and he, like, while he was saying that it seemed like he was a uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character was actually learning, was actually thinking. And then he tries to change that up and he tries to change things. So I, I don't know, to me, it just felt like he was trying to learn how to be a
1: human yeah. most of the movie. I mean, he, he's pretty much like the definition of a psychopath. Who Mm -hmm. does not feel normal human emotions, but he is the manipulative type of like psychopath that therefore tries to get everybody to do what he wants because he sees what people should feel and he realizes like, okay, I can make them feel this way or that way. And um, he's not only just learning how to interact with people, he's learning how to control them as he goes Mm -hmm. just to get, you know, (laughs) whatever he wants
0: liam what made it so compelling um for you to to watch
2: are you saying like compelling for me to want to watch it or like after i watched it
0: yeah i mean because i know that you wanted to talk about it and so i wanted to see like what was so compelling that you're like oh we gotta talk about it
2: because uh, like i said it was a simple story done perfectly and i feel like has a lot of hidden uh, many there's just like a crap ton of hidden meaning that a lot of people might not understand, like I probably don't get some of them. And so it's just, it's a, it's a very unique and very special. And the acting is so good by all the actors, but especially Jake Gyllenhaal. I don't know, I just thought it was a really good movie.
3: Yeah, it wasn't a, a complex plot. the The story was really focusing on his rise in this very narrow industry and everything that he causes to happen or sets up to happen around him just to accomplish his goals. And so there didn't really need to be any kind of complicated storyline. There wasn't any like, ah, or aha moments or, or plot twists. It was very straightforward in how it was presented. It was really the acting that really sold this uh, story. So,
1: I, th- I think one of the unique parts of it, too, is that it is not a standard character arc.
4: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it is
1: kind of like a flat character arc. Like you can right in the beginning see uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character as somebody who starts off at one point and at the end of the movie they end at the same point in terms of what they believe. And what they actually believe is just doing what they want to make themselves happy without consequences for other people. They don't go from a a high point to a low point um, emotionally and become a villain. They don't go from You know, low to high and become a hero. He just is totally flat throughout the whole thing and finds success in that. So he Mm -hmm. doesn't really change. It's just the world around him changes as he interacts with it.
0: Well, it's almost like the growth that he does have from from what I'm hearing you guys say is just the growth of his techniques to manipulate people.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: He learns how to do it better.
3: He refines his his manipulation. Yeah. But other than that, nothing changes.
1: Sometimes those stories can be kind of the most interesting because it is not about the character. It's about those who interact with them. So his, his overall change is the flat arc, um, which is so different because you don't really see that in a lot of uh, media at all. When the main person you're following are around the whole time, whether it's the protagonist or antagonist, they just don't do anything. I mean, when we oftentimes look at movies, we're looking at the standard protagonist you know hero's journey save the cat sort of style which you know i've got some examples about that we can talk about later but yeah i don't know that to me that's what stuck out did anything stick out to anybody else i just like jake gyllenhaal (laughs) i mean he is a little cutie i
4: was i was gonna say is does your like opinion of uh jake gyllenhaal change throughout the movie or do you have like do you immediately feel at Uh, like unease when you're it's immediate right from the
3: first scene they set it up to be uncomfortable there's something off about this guy and the way he interacts with people doesn't change throughout the movie if anything it's the way other people interact with him that changes it's their character development where at first they see him as like a means to accomplish their goals. And hey, this guy will stop at nothing to to get what we need out of him. But then they slowly realize over time, like, oh crap, this guy is a problem. And then they realize this guy is dangerous mm. and they're in over their head before the end. So it's
0: kind of it's kind of like the villain story. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. not you, it, this
1: Not necessarily. I feel like
4: it's the villain's rise.
2: No, no, I think she's right. I feel like it's a story about the villain's rise and how the world makes villains or how we let them rise, you know?
1: Okay, I mean, he's definitely the villain, but I think when you think of a typical villain story, it might be how a villain became to be. There's always... You know, some way that they turned evil or they always have been, or there's like some sort of set or motivation. There's no origin
3: story in this.
1: Yeah. It's just he is and he gets lucky doing the thing that he knows, which is just to please himself, which is, you know, very villain like.
3: It's how he comes to success.
1: Uh, Yeah. When he's
3: already.
2: It's not an origin story. It's his rise story. It's a story Uh to his power, I feel like. It's not the origin. Yeah how it comes to be you know
3: and it kind of shows how people around him failed to recognize it and because of that failure they helped push him into that success
2: well i feel like another way is is the re uh, that we let people like this happen mm-hmm. like with the news station that i can't remember what it's called but the news the main news station that he goes to to sell his his product or is what he records they they let it happen they know what he does is illegal Mm -hmm. but they try to work around that and put it on the news and they let it happen they let what he does happen and they bring him up into becoming uh, a successful businessman Mm -hmm. when he shouldn't be they should have just they were looking for the the loopholes yeah to
3: get around
2: they're looking what they could get get out of it themselves yeah because they realize, oh, with his success comes ours. But they didn't realize, but like with that, he's a villain, not a good person. It's not somebody you want to be successful, even though it might make you successful.
1: And I, you know, I think the the whole idea is that the complacency that other people have, like mm-hmm. there's nobody in that film that's good except for his assistant. Yeah. And like even the very first, the foreman at the construction site, he is benefiting from this guy's evil and they're all just trying to benefit from it. I think if you tried to break it down into a more of a societal level, it's uh, a commentary on people like this can thrive when we just try to use them for our own gain. They end up getting lots of power and taking over in ways that we never thought that they would. So it's kind of like a, a warning tale, so to speak, too, is like, It may not be on the grand scale of a dictator or something, but it could just be this one person that you want to use for your own gain is not a good thing if you know they're doing something that's wrong, if there's a moral lesson in the the
3: story. I think also listening to what other people are saying, there's definitely one guy at the news station who keeps objecting to the footage. As it's getting worse and worse, he's like, we can't show this. We can't use this. This is wrong. This is this is not moral, you know. Who cares if it's we can find a legal way to do it? It's ethically wrong. And the other people around him keep shutting him down and ignoring his warnings. So there's some lesson in that, too, that you got to listen to the different sides. And if somebody's throwing up a red flag maybe stop and take a breath and listen for a second because they could be on to something that you're missing because of your own push for success
2: i don't know i just think it's a good movie yeah and 10 out of 10 you should definitely i definitely recommend definitely watch
0: to be honest it doesn't actually sound like my cup of tea no it
2: doesn't Um, i was targeting more tarts tom (laughs) tommy
3: i think Tommy,
2: you definitely like
4: it I, it's it's one of those movies that sounds like i would never watch on my own but if someone was like hey you want to watch this together i'd be like yeah let's do it
3: to be fair i don't think that amy would, would Amy
4: definitely wouldn't like it. it no amy definitely would not like it but i think tommy really is would. there
3: magic or romance?
2: romance
3: then get it out of uh, here there's <laughs> the magic of film and uh, splicing and, and editing sequences to use oh, it the way you need it to work.
1: there's there the magic of forced romance. Oh that's no, yeah. that's Amy. No, really Amy's that's gonna dig not, on that's witchcraft. That's <laughs>
0: not That's black magic. That's black magic. There you go. That's what I was thinking. I was like, ah.
1: So a really great like way to, to contrast the the idea of like the flat character arc in this is with a positive character arc that you typically see in your very standard hero's journey slash save the cat, um, which I recently found again in The Matrix when I, we watched it because I, I wanted to watch The Matrix again to see if it was still a good movie like 22 years later because I, it is so stylized and it's so strange and I thought that like it would have lost its charm. But when I watched it again, specifically The Matrix um not two and three we can talk about them later there's a two and three
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) Yeah. unfortunately
0: wait i can't tell if that's a joke or not
3: (laughs) yeah it was was a joke joke.
1: yeah yeah okay we we (laughs) kind of wish there wasn't for so many different reasons but (laughs) so the matrix is is a super super standard story it is uh you know, here is the chosen one and they're searching for something and they finally get it and they have a mentor that tries to teach him a little bit and they have to go through this long journey to figure something out. And then they have to make a choice, and they make that choice, oh my and it gosh. puts them in the position where they have to fight the evil, and then they overcome by learning the things that they've learned along the way, and they are victorious Holy in crap. the end, like- This is
4: like a live-action anime
1: right now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very, <laughs> very live-action anime, to be honest. But I, I think one of the things that struck me with it is that I went back to watch it to see, because I thought it would be very visually dated, but I think one of the great things they did with the film is they... Made it in a weird mixture of visuals mm-hmm. so that it is very late 90s, but it's also like weirdly early 80s and it's slightly futuristic and it's got a very unique style that has been imitated many, many times, but never like actually replicated properly. Um, even in their own sequels, they didn't do it. So I think it's a really great movie if you haven't watched it. It is definitely fantasy, Amy, even if it's sci fi fantasy. Um, I've seen
0: The Matrix. I
1: I know. I know you've seen The Matrix. I'm just saying for you, it's like, I don't know. I I think it is a really, really great action movie that science science fiction action movie that is purposely ridiculous and it's just such a a wonderful plot. And I I think that I want somebody to now shit on that opinion.
3: Okay. I actually think that everything that you just said is absolutely correct uh <laughs> that's not cheating not you that. um no i recently watched the matrix as well and i was also expecting it to feel very dated with the way it, w- it looked but because of the grittiness that they filmed it or maybe edited it with It kind of hides any possibility for seeing the dating. There's only one sequence where it even feels like, oh, that looks terrible. But it looked terrible when the movie first was released. And that's the elevator door exploding and then bouncing across the room. It's so bad. It's so terrible. But it's always been bad. Something I picked up on when I watched it this time around was I I always knew like, oh, yeah, they used a lot of green. Uh, especially even right from the the opening credits before you even get into the film where you've got like the WB oh. coming up and everything has this green overlay to it, right? But when you watch the entire film, everything to do with the Matrix has different shades of green in it, both in the tint of the, the lighting and um, just constantly throughout what people are wearing, the decor of a room everything uh, has, you know, carpet, whatever. It's got green just everywhere when you're in the matrix. But there's different shading depending upon what the mood is and what the tone is and how the character's mindset of what's really happening and what they perceive is happening is. And then when they're outside of the matrix, everything has bluish tones to it. And I thought that was an interesting choice to have green and blue tones because they're so similar. It's like, wouldn't you want to do green and red or like blue and yellow or something like that? But I thought about it. I'm like, well, green versus blue, they're so similar to each other that it does kind of represent that concept of not being totally sure of what is real versus what is uh, fake around you. So I feel like that was an interesting choice. So, actually, or
4: originally, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the green mistaken. tint was a graphical error.
3: <laughs> really? Really? Yes, it
4: was completely on accident, but well, the execs loved it so much, and the Wachowskis loved it so much that they decided to go with it, and then I believe they also... So, they they put the green tint on the Matrix, and then they put that blue tint on the real world. They're okay. like, you yeah. know what? This actually is... Is cool, it fits the movie somehow, and then that's why you also get all like the green advertisements and everything with the Patriots.
3: Mm-hmm. So Ah, oh, it's
1: so great. I
4: I also do think, and I could be wrong on this, I
1: heard that when they put it out on D V D, which was, you know, a huge success on D V D, they added more green to it. Yeah. And mm. that is the version most people know, but the theatrical ah. version was a lot less green. So yeah. if you, I don't know, the one that we watched was both on probably HBO Max. Mm. Um, I don't know what you watched it on, Missy.
3: I watched mine on HBO as well. Okay. I was like, why pull out the DVD sitting right next to me when I could just pick up my remote and turn it onto the TV? Well, so. it,
1: it might there be a go. different and, and actually better experience because they probably did not, Tone up the the green as much again, unverified. Like most of our things, we right, yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to do some research on that.
0: So, okay. First of all, I want to say I also love sci-fi as well. So <laughs> I did like watching Matrix and stuff like that. I have not watched Matrix. Uh, the Matrix. Uh, Okay. <laughs> Semantics. Anyways, I have not watched uh, the Matrix. In like fifteen years or something like that, I don't know. Like I, it has been such a long time, so I have like vague memories of what it's like. I do just remember it being really green, and that's that's mostly the impression that I have of it. Also, the I I didn't like the spike in the back of the head. That always
1: weirded me out. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> other than
0: that, I probably should go watch it again. I didn't know we were supposed. To to watch it
1: no we weren't supposed to just missy and i were talking about it one night like a week or two ago and i went i just watched the matrix i want to talk about it and she's like all right i'll go watch it
0: i i will say this i i think i've seen the second one the most and then the third one um only a handful of times the second one was just trying to recreate the i think uh crazy originality of the first one because when the matrix came out i mean people would not shut up about it. It was a one of a kind. It was so amazing, the concept of it, how unique it was, just the way, I mean, obviously the way it was filmed was, like, revolutionary. Like, there was so many things about it that was amazing. And so they were trying to recreate that feeling with number two, and it didn't really work. And so then I feel like with number three, they were like, okay, we're just going to try to wrap this story up and, like, make it important. And I also feel like they kind of, like, Overdid well, it. I think at that point.
4: I, I think ultimately at the core of each of the movies that the Wachowskis made, I feel like they were trying to ask a interesting philosophical question, but mm-hmm. in doing so, they were trying to outdo their previous movie, which is oh, I think yeah. what really was the downfall. Because the idea of like like purpose in the third movie is uh, super interesting to me, but also. Like, I don't want to see them fighting for, like, 20 minutes at the very end. Just, like, ramming (laughs) each other through buildings. I don't know. So, I I feel like those questions were interesting. It was just they were trying to outdo themselves.
1: All right. Here, here I'll break down real quick. Because I did watch all three. And I really kind of wish I just watched the first one. Um, (laughs) First one, awesome movie. If you haven't seen it, you know, stop this podcast.
3: (laughs) Where have you been all your life and you
1: haven't (laughs) seen it yet? (laughs) Yeah. If you are four years old, go watch The Matrix. (laughs) (laughs) So The Matrix, at its core, was about somebody learning to believe in something about himself that he did not know. So Neo was choosing to be the one. He He was learning to believe, and it was his choice to be it. The second Matrix went way off the deep end because they didn't focus on that very basic thing. Like, okay, now Neo is the one. Instead of saying he is the ultimate force within the matrix and he can't be beat, why don't we figure out ways that he still can be beat and he has to double down on that effort or he has to really question if he is the one. Maybe he gets beat a couple times and he's like, oh, actually, I don't know if I am. I'm just special. That could have been so much more of an interesting way to go instead of them spending literally hour in the movie talking about like people's choices and what they mean and how we have to understand them before we make a choice or after we make a choice. And it was like, there was no solid point to any of it. It was just a bunch of philosophical blabble that was spewed out and it came across Mm -hmm. so poor. And then in the third movie, it was purpose. It was, you know, what's our purpose? Why are we going to be here? Like, what do we need to do? Same thing. They tried to make a philosophical point out of it. Do you want to fix the entire series, in my opinion, keep one as is. Masterpiece minus elevator door scene. Um, (laughs) And then in the second one, you don't make Neo Superman. Because I uh, honestly (laughs) hate (laughs) Superman Uh, heroes. It's the biggest problem I have with Superman. It's the problem I have with Captain Marvel. It's the problem I have with Neo in Matrix uh, Reloaded and Revolutions is because... If that character is pretty much invincible, how do you make them struggle? And mm-hmm. the only thing that you can do is make them love somebody and have to choose between them or something else, which is exactly what the the Matrix did here and they did it really terribly.
3: When a character has everything, the only thing you can do with their story is take something away, and that's not yes. as enjoyable. As a story where you are gaining something.
1: Yeah, especially because if it's not their choice to have mm-hmm. it taken away or if it's not by their actions to have it taken away, then they're still in not really their character growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was kind of the problem here. I mean, it, it goes more in depth. We're not going to get that much into it. But if you just played <laughs> on that, on that focusing of the same core idea, I need to believe that I'm the one and I'm still struggling to get better. And maybe you do this, the really basic thing of, okay, now I need to create a team or I need to start training people. And then you have something come in at a later point, specifically in the second Matrix. You have Agent Smith come in and you're like, oh, he's back. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's like 40 of them. Oh, there's like 200. (laughs) And it came in a little bit too early. If you had it right near the end of the movie when they're all jumping between different um, doors in this, like, really big white hall, which is kind of back doors to different spots in the Matrix. If they opened the door and he was standing in there, that would have been such a, like, (gasps) Smith back moment. And it would have given him a lot more weight as a bad guy. Maybe he was trapped in between systems as Mm. opposed to, like, he's just back taking over.
4: That's Actually, I really like that idea. Mm.
1: Yeah, there's so much small stuff they could have done. But I, I don't know the story behind it. My guess is that also, so I heard this rumor and I, again, don't know if it's true. The studio gave the Wachowskis um, a budget to make the Matrix. And instead of making the Matrix, they made the intro scene to the Matrix where the agents are chasing uh, Carrion Moss. And mm. they spent their entire budget on that sequence. And they came back and showed it to the Sony executives or I don't know if it was Sony. They showed it it probably was Sony because, you know, it's a Sony movie type thing. Anyway, they they showed it to the executives and the executives were like, oh, this is awesome. Where's the rest of the movie? And they're like, we need more money. And the executives are like, okay, fine. We see what you're going for. You can go ahead and make it. I feel like what happened with two and three is that the executives kind of backed off a little bit and let them do whatever they wanted because they created this low budget Sci fi movie that blew up, and they're like, oh, well, these guys are geniuses, so let's just let them do whatever. And they just needed a little bit of reining in, kind of like mm. George Lucas <laughs> in the yeah, prequels. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I find that interesting. A lot of the stuff that they make is, I think, really interesting concepts, but because they're, you know, the Wachowski, it's a Wachowski, right?
4: Wachowski. Yes. Sure. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Because they're the Wachowski siblings, like they, are kind of given free reign to do whatever because they have that matrix under their belt. However, the stuff that they have done hasn't always been the best. Now, I will say, Jupiter Ascending is a terrible movie. Yeah, but I love it with my whole heart.
3: Mm. Such a great concept, just, just, just excellent. Yeah, it's such a great concept. Horribly,
0: they, they always have such amazing concepts, mm-hmm. but then like their follow through with them is just. Very mediocre. I will say though, Sense Eight, which is a Netflix, which is a Netflix show, um, that they um, directed. That is an amazing show. It's definitely goes more into like, I don't know, like what does it mean for family and humans? And it's a it's a it's a fantastic show. It's so so good. It's got that kind of sci-fi element in it that they kind of love. Wonderful concept, but. They had to wrap up the story very quickly, so it's only had like two seasons um, because it just like wasn't popular and and which is unfortunate because I think they did a really really good job of filming it. It was it's a fantastic show. You should definitely um, check it out if you haven't. But I feel like with the siblings, they have a very hard time making something that is just as creative
1: and amazing and actually sticks with people. Mm. Well, I think that kind of goes back to that very basic core. Like if you look at the Matrix, it is a very hero's journey story. And what they had is this crazy sci-fi concept, which was, you know, humans are batteries. What's the Matrix? They had uh, these different ideas and like they really built out this world, but they stuck to a very tried and true formula to introduce you to that world. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: And the problem that you have as an audience especially with a medium like film which needs to appeal to such a broad audience to get its money back mm, a lot of times true. if you go kind of crazy after that it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't pay off for the people who just came in from that very basic hero's journey story you have to have a very slow step to something else and while doing that you can then really tell an interesting story but it doesn't have to be anything that's crazy different so i think all the stuff that I've seen from them um, that they have written, which I have not seen that much. Now that I can think about it, outside of um, the Matrix, I mean, I've seen Cloud Atlas. Have which you they seen didn't written. V
3: for Vendetta?
1: Yes, I have seen V for Vendetta. Oh, they did that. Yeah, I feel like that, that was one of their
3: best ones oh. outside of no, or uh, the Matrix was good.
1: But again, I don't. V for Vendetta was adapted too. So. True. That's true. I I don't know of anything they've done original, and I could be mistaken if there is something. Please share with us because I don't know. But if there's something original that they've created, because I know they did Speed Racer, and they did um, Cloud Atlas, Mm -hmm. and um, something else, and it was all you know adapted stories. Yeah. Anyway, I just I wanted I just I wanted to say it was it was a good film, and you should check it out. It's 22 (laughs) years old, but it's still awesome. uh,
0: Um. Well, I mean the the fourth one. Is that a remake or is that a continuation?
1: I'm pretty sure it's going to be a continuation. I know that uh, Keanu Reeves and Carrie anne Moss are supposed to reprise Neo and Trinity, as far as I know. I don't know if Lawrence Fishburne is going to be in it. I'm assuming he would be. So I, I don't know if it's a sequel or not. And if it's a sequel, it's like, well, how do you do a sequel to that? It's going to be cheesy. Oh, yeah. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be bad. I'll, still, I'll still watch it. Cause...
4: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's the problem. That's why they're making it, because there's people like me. They know they can get people
3: to watch it, even though two-thirds of the content in the storyline has been pretty bad. Although I never saw the animated series. Yeah, I never played
1: the game.
4: Or yeah, there was some animated... uh,
1: Enter the Matrix, maybe?
4: Yeah, I I believe, yeah. yeah. That was the game. Uh, Or no, that was animation, yeah.
1: I guess you have to put it this way. I was a fresh teenager when The Matrix came out. Mm. And to me, fresh out of puberty. <laughs> no, fresh into puberty. <laughs> oh, my <no>. fresh, <laughs>
0: yeah. fresh into puberty.
1: Yeah. And to me, it was like a mind blowing experience of like, the world you know around you is not real. And it's like one of those first kind of stoner thoughts that you might have of like, whoa, what if we all saw the different colors and what I see as red is actually blue to you, like that sort of thing. Mm. It like came out the perfect time of my life. So I definitely have like a soft spot for movies like that that are. Science fictiony, and they're gigantic action pieces, and they're ridiculous, and they star Keanu Reeves because you know he's awesome.
0: I love him so much.
4: I, uh, he's he's beautiful. I don't think he's necessarily a phenomenal actor. And uh, hot take, hot take. uh But I think <laughs> I think there's a thing about him, like he just I don't know. He, he there's this, this presence. Whenever you're like, this is Keanu's here. Like that's just enough for the movie or whatever product he's in. At least that's how I feel. I do feel like the Matrix has one flaw and that
1: is the love story because it was totally not necessary in my Mm -hmm. opinion. It actually sort of lessened Trinity's character and just made her sort of a set piece to follow Neo and to love him. Now, I know she was a badass too. And there was plenty of scenes where she was being a badass. But having her, like, crumple near the end because she was in love and you didn't really see that build up at all, that was mm-hmm. the weakest aspect of the story to me. In fact, I just hate cheesy love stories that don't <laughs> fit into a movie like that. Like, you just don't need it.
4: Yeah, you really didn't need it in that case. It was just there maybe to attract a f- further audience.
1: Oh, but well, shut
4: up. I don't know. <sighs> Quit
1: bringing I that back I
3: think part along. of it, So, there was a definite theme that I picked up on in the first one, and that was the idea of fate versus choice, which is a common theme. Uh. But in most movies or, or series, you know, stories, whatever, it's either fate. Or it's choice like either we live in a world where we all have a destiny and there's nothing we can do about it and they show people trying to get around that and everything they do just leads to it or we live in a world where you have to make a choice and we have free will but this one really tried to balance both of those Uh, throughout the series they are constantly presenting the characters with these various notions of this is your fate this is your destiny and Also with you have to make a choice like Neo is constantly being told throughout the movie that you have to make a choice. I I detected it in like five different scenes where he's specifically told you need to make a choice. And so I think he's definitely exploring that that choice aspect, whereas Carrie Ann Moss is exploring the the fate aspect of her life. So I think some of that romance is done to help balance that choice versus fate story that they're trying to interweave together.
1: I I never actually looked at it that way. So that's a good way to, to perceive it. It
4: I just wanted everyone to be happy and no one to die at the end. But (laughs) then that didn't happen. (laughs)
3: Hmm. Well, if you just watch the first one, it's all good. You're, you're not wrong. The only one who dies is Mr. Smith or agent Smith. Well, not not really. Okay. The, the only one of the, like, five main characters. Yes, half of the crew on the ship dies. Awesome. This yeah. is true. Yeah.
1: Dozer. Poor Dozer. <laughs> oh, Dozer. Mouse? Yeah. Oh yeah. Mouse. No. Oh. Switch. Switch, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Apex. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Come on. I know. Classic characters here. Cypher. <laughs> but, like, well, hate it when yeah, the bad guy dies.
4: Yeah. Yeah, but wouldn't you take that steak? <laughs> Yeah, I like mean, if day we're day living in the Matrix, so
3: then I can just eat the steak.
4: So. Exactly. <laughs>
3: and smoke the cigar and drink the wine.
4: Like, oh, all three of these things go. I could have in my life. Sounds so good.
3: <laughs> and I was watching that sequence going, ah, yeah, I'd go back into the Matrix for this. <laughs> <laughs> I think okay for the matrix I think it always weirded
0: me out because at the time I was still very religious and the concept of like everything you see here is not real actually really freaked me out not and I'm not exactly sure why but it was just the idea of like like almost like well how do I know how do I know that this this isn't the matrix that we aren't just like some programmed nobody doing nothing for the sake of these like robots or whatever you know like mm-hmm. i i was very overwhelmingly like felt nauseous while watching that movie mm-hmm. because i was like thought about so many different things that i'd never really like thought about before i'm like oh god am i having an existential crisis at the age of like 10 or whatever i was <laughs> I think were, like
3: it. eight when it came out
0: <laughs> yeah some, yeah something like that it was a uh, 99 so yeah eight so for me i always remember watching like i always remember not like liking the matrix but not really liking the matrix leaving you with an uneasy me, feeling yeah I, it always mm. left me with an uneasy feeling i don't know if it was the way that it was filmed or just because I, I like i i probably should go back and watch it now to to see how i feel about it now with all of my you know views and mindsets and everything change um, but i just always remember having like a really uneasy feel mm. and watching it that had nothing to do with like how good the actors were or how you know well it was written or directed or whatever it it was just kind of i guess this this weird you know feeling that i got which i also get when watching things like uh breaking bad and i think it in breaking bad's instance It is the lighting. Mm. The lighting. I don't know what it is, but that make it just gives me such a weird uneasily unease feeling that makes me like kind of nauseous in the pit of my stomach. And I'm like, I don't want to watch this. So anytime that there's that's why I don't like a lot of movies that are set in deserts um, because it's usually all the like same sort of lighting that that tends to. That's the that, the that tension. like to be that used.
3: artificial layer of light.
0: Yeah. Or like because especially in a desert, you're trying to give it a certain kind of feel. And I maybe mean, because I grew up around green. I am not trying to have a therapy session here now, but maybe because like I grew up around so much green that anytime I don't see so much green, it just like automatically freaks me out.
3: I mean, then the matrix you should feel great about. <laughs> <laughs> I know,
0: I know. Um but there there was there was just something about the matrix that always gave me a sense of an ease so i, I i'm going to go back and watch it and I, i'm interested to see I th- I think, um, how i feel about it now
1: yeah and just from a story writing perspective i think it's worth giving a watch it the way that they slowly let you into the premise of the matrix mm-hmm. the way that they introduce the characters and um, just the overall like story that they tell is it's really cheesy sci-fi story in an action setting but they hit all the beats and they do it in a really nice smooth way. So if you look at it strictly from a storytelling perspective, it might be something to also, you know, look at and say, well how can I make my stories better by watching this because now you understand like, oh okay, I see why they did that at this point or, you know, whatever in general but
0: yeah. Well, I mean, they say especially for writing or music or what whatever you're doing, they say you need to consume a lot of what you want to do, and usually within the arts. So, like if you want to write sci-fi, you need to be watching a lot of sci-fi, reading a lot of sci-fi. If you want to write romance you got to be reading romance you have to be you have to be living romance no just kidding but you you have to immerse yourself in the things that you want to write because one that gives you an idea of the kind of story you want to write what you don't want to write because I've I've listened to so many books where I'm like I know I don't want that in (laughs) my book that I, I think that yeah you you have to immerse yourself in it so I mean stories like that that's awesome that that we kind of have like a hey for story writing. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is a good, a good how to video almost.
1: You need to be slightly careful if you're going to envelop yourself in the type of materials that you want to be like, because you can oftentimes take inspiration from them and then unknowingly put that into your own piece. And that can be slightly dangerous. Like, true. If I wanted to, to make music and all I listened to is the cure over and over and over again for like a year, I would write very cure like songs. Yeah. And, mm. and it's, I, it's, I'm not saying that that's a, a thing you should avoid because you do need to dive into that actual material. You need to figure out what other people are doing and how they're doing it. It makes you better. But if you're going to dive into those, that material, I would recommend two things. First of all, be conscious of that effect that if you're, this is all you're going to read or like consume, that when you start to create, you might be doing the same thing as everybody else. Just be conscious of that. And I guarantee you'll probably mm-hmm. work better at it. And the second thing is, try to mix it up with things that are totally outside of that genre to give your mind a break for what's within it. And then you might actually be able to mix the two genres together at some unique venture in the future.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I I just wanted to say, like, it actually is good to immerse yourself in what you want to do. Because you don't want to just like, yeah, I want to write sci-fi. It's like, oh, like, what kind of sci-fi do you like? You're like, oh, I don't like sci-fi. I've never, I I saw the Matrix. I started the Matrix and I never finished it. And that's the only sci-fi I've ever seen. It's like, well, okay, maybe you should see a few sci-fi things. Although it would, I will say that would be an interesting concept if someone who's like never seen sci-fi is like, I'm going to write a sci-fi book like what would that look like? But I do think that there are a lot of like uh ideas that you can create or do not do. I don't want to say do better because again you don't you don't want to steal somebody else's work, but if you just make you your know, own. Yeah, to to make your own and to say like, "Oh, I would never do. I would never write that a character like that." It's like cool, then how would you write it? Like that that has what's helped me want to make stories is listening to all of these people and saying like that's amazing but the one that inspires me the most is when someone writes something that I'm like this is awful I want to write it better (laughs) (laughs) but that's just me personally
1: one thing I did think about with the matrix too is I was going back specifically to listen to the music because I, I remember it being really like techno cheesy sort of thing but again i don't feel like it was that way i feel like it was very stylistic and very on point with how it was presented Mm -hmm. and the times that were supposed to be kind of cheesy like were on purpose but then it had like full orchestration and i think that specifically like the battle with the agents like all the the orchestration it had with the trumpets and stuff was just so great and it really translated later to the revolutions and to uh, Reloaded or Reloaded and Revolutions, if you want to put them in their technical Mm -hmm. order. So (laughs) I I really, it's one of those things where I'm glad I went back and watched The Matrix thinking, is this going to be as bad as I hope it's not going to be? Does that make, is that a good sentence? Sentence say, work. Say that again.
0: Yeah. Shit.
1: Sure. Yeah. <laughs> work. <laughs> um, when I watched Nightcrawler, I went back watching it thinking, oh, I like this movie. Let me watch it again. And my opinion changed not about the movie and not about um, liking it, but it changed about why I liked it and specifically mm. about myself. Whereas The Matrix, I remember loving it. And I went back to watch it going, I bet this is going to suck because it's probably so dated. And instead, it just reinforced my opinion. And I went, you know what? This is pretty good.
0: (laughs) I agree. (laughs) It's interesting to see what movies do hold up. And I think that that's like a good test of how well a movie is written. When you can go back years later, watch it and go, oh, shit, this like holds up. Maybe not necessarily visually. Sometimes, yes, visually. But just like... As far as with the times changing and you know social issues being more prominent, how the movie uh presents itself and if it can still present itself clearly and in a good manner, you know nowadays like I think that that's awesome that's a i feel like a true test of a good movie and a good story
4: well the the cinematography specifically in The Matrix was revolutionary, no pun intended it mm-hmm. it was like. The two scenes I'm thinking of was uh, the first Matrix. Uh, one of them was when he first goes into to bullet time. I guess it's I think it's actually yeah, that, called that is the trademark term for uh, yeah. that
1: camera technique that is yeah. owned by Warner Brothers. Not, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Warner Brothers.
4: Yeah, exactly. Warner Brothers owns the, the term bullet time, which I think is pretty cool. And then the other scene is uh, the one with Trinity where she like jumps up and she's about to like kick. But she's like suspended in air.
3: Oh yeah. So as as that
4: yeah. that camera rig they actually built like I think it was like an, an either a one eighty or a seven twenty camera rig that would basically just like pan around uh, at a pretty fast pace. Uh, but then what they would do is they would have someone they would have like Neo for example be suspended. Like in air, slowly moving (laughs) so that with the camera, when it was going fast enough, it could like track all that movement. Well, Um, no, that is
1: actually not how that was filmed. Oh, so no, bullet time was filmed using several cameras, like 30 to 50 cameras, something like that. And they were all placed in a circle. And when the specific action happened, like when Trinity went up in the air and froze, that is a specific period of time. Of course, she was on a rig, but it's not like she was holding still. They just shot all the cameras around her in a cir- circle taking a picture, and then they composited those together and filled in the frames in between it. And the same thing yeah. when, ma- when Neo is on the roof, it is a whole bunch of different cameras on a rig. It's not one camera, and it is him falling in real time backwards. And then all those cameras were timed to shoot around in a specific circle, and then they just in post actually. Compile them together.
4: All right. So that's the lesson is, don't listen to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's just it's 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 just a cool technique because I think most people thought it was the way y- you might have thought, where it's just a single camera. Whereas they were kind of like, well, why don't we just use like forty cameras? And that's what made <laughs> that oh. shot look so good for being nineteen ninety
4: nine. I think
0: it's interesting that that um, camera technique was so revolutionary, right? And it's so expensive to have that many cameras filming all at once. Like, it was crazy back then. But now that same sort of process is used at, like, a lot of conventions or, like, award shows or whatever, where people just kind of get in this booth and they're, okay, let's take a quick picture uh, or a quick little video. And I, I think it's so funny how – I mean, of course, like, the times have changed and and technology has grown and expanded. But I love that this super amazing revolutionary technique is now just, like – Selfie time. <laughs> like, I, I just love that. Um, now, granted, you still have to have a lot of cameras. So it's, it's a little more than just selfie time, which is why they have them in like to, to show like in conventions to show off people's cosplay, which I actually I think is a great use for it. Yeah. Because you can have a full video, just a full sweeping video and of all the amazing costumes and stuff. And then I guess, like award shows, it's to show off all the beautiful dresses and stuff.
1: That's so one of the things I, I'm really excited about with technology is that we wouldn't be doing what we're doing right now, making a podcast and building a company that does audio productions without the incredible advance in audio technology that's happened in quite literally like the past 20 years. Um, oh, yeah. I, I remember when I first started getting into like audio production stuff was like 2005 2006 some of this equipment was so extremely expensive just for home use that it was you know a couple thousand dollars to get like a very very basic setup and now the stuff that we all have living you know thousands of miles apart can allow us to create these really cool stories and then to put music on top of it and that music that goes on top of it is sampled which has gone down so much in price and it sounds so good we can create orchestras in our computer which when i was making music and i was in like bands in high school was all i ever wanted to do was these great big orchestrations with like rock music on top of it and now i can actually do it from my extremely small living space and I think that's one of the greatest things about coming up with a new technology like the bullet time camera rigs um, or, you know, like Hans Zimmer coming up with a whole bunch of sampling um, Mm. techniques that eventually it will make its way down the pipeline to just basic consumers. And that will make us being able to create stuff so much more easy and simplistic.
0: Well, that kind of same concept, it's interesting because, you know, you know, Everyone, not everyone, but like people go to Hollywood, they go to California because that's where all the opportunities are. And I'm not saying that there aren't opportunities there, but with growing technology where you can kind of, you know, make your own movie and story and book from basically anywhere at this point because the technology is so readily available and accessible. It's almost like the need to to go out west and go to California and go to Hollywood is kind of becoming more touristy than anything it's just more of like a yeah it's just something you do but it's not really necessary anymore because you know we can create a entertainment company from anywhere because of the advances and advantages that tech the, of the technology that we have
1: today mm-hmm. it makes making a high quality product so much more accessible and easy that i think everybody that wants to do it should at least start trying i mean just the sheer amount of free musical instruments that you can find online and create songs with is absolutely staggering. And yes, mm-hmm. you need a computer for it. And yes, you probably need a MIDI controller. Even though you don't really need that, you can do it without it. It just takes a lot more time. The entry to actually being able to create these works that you hear in your head is there. The only thing you have to do is just start and go for it. And I uh, that's to me the most inspiring thing. About the time that we live in is that and it's always been this way to an extent and it always will be this way but as long as you just start writing or start creating like you can make something that's good it may suck at first, but eventually you'll probably get better at it and if it's what you want to do, just go for it and technology's great for helping you to do that
0: you also never know like what people are going to be into. I think that there's, you know, algorithms of like, oh yeah, definitely if you did this, people would be into it. But in general, you know, you don't know the next big thing that's going to become, you know, a worldwide sensation or or just, you know, world widely beloved. I was reading a a book. It was a love story. Oh, and um, oh my god. I know. And it and it took place during I don't know the time period, but it was the war on Baltimore um where the british were the attacking War of
3: 1812 1812 which oh, happened okay. is, that, in, is that the where they happened is that from 1812 to 1814. Oh. 15. Well, this
0: is specifically um the Baltimore part. Baltimore them yeah. attacking Fort, Mah- Fort Fort McHenry. Okay. Yeah, that's the war, um yeah.
1: The one where Francis okay, Scott okay. Key wrote the Star-Spangled Banner.
0: It, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And the person that was writing it was writing about Francis Scott Key. And it was really interesting. He was just like a tiny little side character, but I liked the concept and the idea of, uh, they were like, oh my gosh, are you okay? Like heard what happened. And he's like, yeah, he goes, I was just so inspired. I wrote this poem. Like, what do you think? And they were like, that's, that's amazing. Like that, like that brings me so much happiness, especially because, you know, they had all just gone through this dramatic, you know, battle that happened. And I like the idea that like, now, granted, that is like a high stakes thing. And I don't know how much of that is true because of the fact that it was a romance book I was reading. But I really like the idea that at any moment you can write anything and it can become something way bigger than yourself. He just was like, "I ah, this is how I was feeling. And this is how I wrote it down. And it's now our national anthem. Like, that's ama- that's amazing. Yeah. Like, that's so cool. And I just love the idea that like creativity and the arts and music is so powerful that you know, hundreds of years later, we're still we're still holding on to those ideas and those passions, mm. and the fact that it was just like out of nowhere. Like, yeah, I, I mean, not really out of nowhere, but he was like, "I'm inspired. <laughs> I might die, so I am inspired to
4: write poetry."
1: <laughs> I, I think one of the big keys is if you're going to create something, you shouldn't do it to make it be the biggest thing in the world. You should just do it because it's something that you want to do that you're passionate about. And always try and figure out how to make it better. So, in Francis Scott Key's like example, I bet he never thought it was going to be the national anthem. And
0: yeah, oh, absolutely. Know, just, Sorry, I wasn't saying like write it to become I know an international sensation. Yeah, no, I, I know I, you're not. I, took,
3: I didn't take it. Yeah. That way. Oh, okay.
1: No, no, no. I, I'm saying that's one of the keys in general. Like, if you want to create art, don't create it for like anybody but yourself first if you you have to be your biggest fan and also your biggest critic and you have to know like what you need to improve upon and maybe get help like having somebody point that out and understand like okay yeah i can totally get why i need to be better in this particular area but you also just have to make something that you enjoy and if you're not enjoying it then the chances of somebody else enjoying it are probably going to be even less of course that doesn't always work out there is like people who make art in production style where they're just like knocking it out as quickly as possible and that's their job and you know what that's also okay but i think that for most people especially if anybody's listening to this they're probably going to be people that want to create or have like an inkling to make something unique and don't try to make it bigger than it is just make it for you and that will probably the more you do that the more you make it for you the bigger it will become
3: Yeah, I think there's also something to be said for people who are creating whatever it is they're creating for their job, right, to also make time to create for themselves because you can, that line doesn't have to be blurred. You can have distinctly like, this is my work stuff and this is my me stuff. And sometimes when you are giving yourself time to focus on making and creating for yourself, it Will enhance your creativity outside, you know, in the in the work environment.
1: Has anybody here seen um, Soul by Pixar? No,
3: no, out. I've heard it's oh, so no. good though.
1: I would recommend. That sounds watching like a homework it, assignment. And we we can come back and talk about it. I was <laughs> expecting it to be bad because I heard another podcast and they reviewed it, and I was like, I probably won't watch it. It was totally different than then they kind of led on to. And I am really glad that like Aaron and I watched it last night. Cause we're going through all the Pixar movies. Um, apparently she hasn't seen toy story two or three and divorce <laughs> <laughs> The paperwork has already been filed. Trust me. Um, it's okay.
3: Aaron, I will stand up for you in court and defend you.
1: Yeah. So we're just going back and like watching. Wait, a bunch have you them.
3: never seen toy story? I've me? seen them, but I didn't feel the need to see them again. Oh,
1: okay. Okay. How do you divorce a sister? Do you, uh-huh. you don't marry her first yeah, of all. Yeah. Like, that's, you don't want to. Well, not what's the I mean. term for like disowning? Dis- disowning. How do you disown?
0: Uh, to Google, dear
3: Google. How? Wait, do you- can
1: you disown a like a sister or a brother,
4: or is that just like parent to child? What's the side for can siblings? You because mm. there's patricide. In the U.S., matricide. there is What's no disowning
3: side? ceremony, no court event. You just have nothing to do with the sibling and make sure they inherit nothing. That's uh. the first thing that popped up on Wikipedia. <laughs> and that was
1: a quote from Cora. Well, guess what, Missy? You yeah, don't have to worry about that. I'm not going to leave you anything anyway because I don't I, have anything to leave.
3: There you go. Well, I'm just going to update my will and make sure Tommy gets all the stuff I left to you.
4: Yeah, let's go. <laughs> it's okay. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> um, uh,
1: yeah. Note to self, I would say leave
3: Tommy locks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we, we should have a homework assignment to watch Soul. And then I want to talk about it in terms of a creative thing because uh, it's, it's a very interesting movie. And I think it's definitely worth a, a watch if you are trying to pursue a passion or you are passionate about any kind of creativity aspect of, you know, making music or art or, you know, drawing or anything, um, you could probably get a little bit of wisdom from that and also reject some of the stuff it says at the same time. And I think that's the entire point of the movie. So anyway, yeah, definitely go watch it. Homework assignment. I already finished my homework
4: assignment. That's why I'm so
1: good in school.
4: (laughs) No, you're fucking cheating. You're the teacher and you're giving out freaking homework assignments. (laughs) Stupid. How do you think I got the grades I did, Tom? Oh, my goodness. goodness. You just became the
1: teacher? (laughs) Oh, my god! You were teaching your own classes? Yeah. It turns out if you're a non-traditional student and you just walk in with a lot of confidence, people think you're the teacher.
4: So you're in control bullshitting your way through trees this entire time. Every <laughs> single bullshit. fact you're giving yeah. me is just wrong. Yeah. Uh, um. Pretty much I bullshit my way
1: through everything that is uh, super apparent to anybody who's currently listening. So, it's totally fine. If you guys haven't figured this out, y'all are idiots. <laughs> 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 yeah, so, we, sh- you, sh- you all should watch Speed. Speaking of uh, Keanu Reeves and action movies. Yeah, I
3: already got that on. Yeah,
1: Speed is... Um, Quite possibly, as an audience spoiler, one of the best action scripts ever written. (gasps) It is. I will defend (laughs) it, and it will not be a good defense.
4: I I have a feeling I'm not going to like it second viewing, or, well, viewing it again after so many years. I don't know. We'll see.
1: I have a feeling you're not going to like it. You're going to love it.
4: (laughs) No!
3: (laughs) So, Amy, I'll have to bring my vhs player over to your house and we can all watch it together on tape
0: or we can just watch it on hbo max no no no, no. we need an authentic be viewing no uh, <laughs> oh. I, I tell you what okay what we... you can do is you're going to bring over your tv as well as your vhs player. <laughs> you we'll have that. them playing both at the exact same time and then we can take notes on what's what
4: <laughs> what does your homework say oh the exact same thing okay
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh well thank you so much for joining us today uh we really appreciate you using your time to listen to us and uh, we hope you enjoyed all the shenanigans if you want to reach us on twitter instagram youtube reddit we are 1l2n productions and we'd love to hear from you uh, and if you like what you're doing and you want to help show your support for what we're doing you can head on over head on over to our patreon and the last word of the day goes to we're gonna go with Michael. Take it away.
1: Um, I just wanna say that the Matrix might be one of the greatest pieces of cinematography, cinematographer cinema cinema fur.